One of the greatest catalysts to constantly trying to increase learning both on a quantitative and qualitative level is when you wake up one morning with the very frightening realization that there are very hush of people listening. So all these introductions are just getting me more nervous. With that said, I wanted to personally uh, thank Rebbe, Rebbe Tzian, Mezon, for inviting me. I wish I had more time to visit many different places. So when I mentioned to the people in the shul that I was going to Milwaukee, they said, Milwaukee? Milwaukee's as good a place as any, probably better. So what's the Shilas? They said, well, we're just curious. You know, why Milwaukee? Well... Uh, Rabbi Sian and I and uh, others here have been uh, talking and uh, emailing and communicating for a number of years now. And uh, they were kind enough to extend the invitation. Matter of fact, Surreal, who's not uh, only working behind the scenes and making sure I get to where I have to go, is also uh, taking care of the video and uh, as in constant contact, and it's a little spooky. I keep bumping into members of his family and other people from Milwaukee. And not that we're looking for any rayas that Kajabaruch Baruch was running the world, and you always see Simonim in your life, but uh, I have many other people I know for many years. Rabbi Sandorovic, I think, uh, who manages to slip in and out of cities with great uh, ease. So. Uh, him and I have been uh, discussing many sugyas for a while, and then I uh, have the good fortune, stories told in Europe how uh, a Rebbe or some, uh, somebody really chashev was like looking for a rye and then a safe would fall on his head from the top shelf. That didn't happen to me exactly, but I was looking up a uh, complex shaila about three, four days ago, and Baruch Hashem, I have a lot of svarim. And as I was looking around a particular section, I pulled out a, uh, a sefer that I didn't realize I had. Somebody apparently sent it to me. Maybe it was the author. Maybe it was one of our mutual friends. And should I start again? <laughs> and I looked at the front page, and it was written by our very own Rabbi Ganellis. And uh, we used to sit at the same table for many years. And I hadn't seen him for um, a few decades. That's why I kept running over there to talk. Nothing gets the head table, but... Uh... <laughs> so, who I didn't see a safer and three days before I come to Milwaukee, I pull out the safer, and um, we're in the middle of discussing the... Uh, Shilas, and if I don't finish, I'll be here for a week or two. So if you see me around, we'll, uh, we'll continue the discussion. So, B'Kitzer, apparently I have many uh, unknown ties to Milwaukee. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I'm happy I, I made it. The topic of how to uh, raise the bar, increase our commitment to Torah, increase our hasmada, increase our amelis. As you can see from my stack over here, I just selected a few different things 
that come to mind not only in the realm of Talmud Torah, but I think specifically will resonate with us in our generation, will resonate with us as we interact with our Chaverim. And I'd like to start with the Chaverim. A little bit further. Somebody asked me before if it's too low. Can he mention something? I said it might be too loud. So let me know. I'll keep adjusting. And the Chaverim aspect, it's not only a question of uh, Chaver in your class. I see a lot of 8th graders, 7th graders, 6th graders, maybe ninth graders. Peer pressure is an extremely vital ingredient to learning and increasing your learning. That peer could be the friend in your class. It will hopefully be your spouse in the proper way, proper venue. I'm going to cause trouble and wreak havoc and then leave town. <laughs> but that's an important component. And your chaverim in the Bez Medjish, your chaverim in Shul, your abayim, your abonim. And there's an old fallacy. I remember seeing many people who have said this, thought about this, even if they didn't spell it out. I spent my life in yeshiva and I have seen this in my own interaction with my chaverim and many others as well. And it's a wonderful shield to hide behind because it's more comfortable. But when you rip away the shield and you're all of a sudden exposed, you have to look at the uh, hard, cold fact that the excuse you might have been giving yourself for many years might not be so accurate. Talk to a very chosh of I'm preaching to the converted here. Where to see Matera, community, as Rabbi mentioned, community this size finished Shas and Mishabura, it's not a small thing. So whatever I say, I'm really talking to myself and whoever might be listening online. And whatever small chizik we can all get together. The concept that I'm referring to is the very built-in easy excuse that the reason my friend is learning more than I am, and the reason my associate at the office or in shul or my neighbor is striking more than I am, is not because he's trying harder, it's because he's naturally smarter, or has a natural natiya to ruchnius, or he has more yichus, he has a better family structure. He has a more convincing wife, a more convincing shver. And I wasn't zeched to those things, and therefore I'm doing what I'm doing, and I'm doing not bad, but um, if I get concerned that I could be doing better, it's not really true because I shouldn't look at him because he has all these advantages which I don't have. It's a very complex topic and it's very easy to just uh, slip back into the cocoon and just leave it at that and say, okay, I'm, 
I'm here, I'm at an hour, I'm at an hour and a half, and he's at two hours, but that's because he's more talented. In yeshiva, this was the easiest cop-out, because you have an actual system where you're in a class, and there are grades, and there are tests, there are report cards, and you have to explain to your parents why you're not doing as well as Chaim is. And often the answer that we use, this is the answer I used, is that, well, I'm not as smart, or he was born a natural masmid, or whatever similar argument might come to mind. Now, is it true that there's a point where you can't chide yourself or torture yourself because you're not able to learn seven hours as you look at your friend doing? Of course there is. The godless of Avedis Hashem is everybody has to find out what they can do on their level. The concept over here is that we spend a lot of time, the Yitzhahara spends a lot of time trying to help us fool ourselves into thinking that we have arrived and we can't do any more. Ah, uh, the fellow down the block is doing more. He has certain kalim I don't have. The trick in life is that sometimes that's true and quite often it's not. And even more often than that, the truth is somewhere in the middle, like everything else in life. And often without an objective analysis, like from your Rebbe, from your Rav, or from a Harvard that will tell you the truth, it's a little hard to figure out because Adam Karavet's a lot we're all Meshuchid, and uh, we'd rather rest comfortably, especially if we're accomplishing already. The purpose of Asim Ashas is to be able to get together and show what we can do with a little extra push of the peer pressure. That's true of any community function, that's true in the general operation of a Kehillah, of a Shul, and that's what it's for, that's a positive thing. A case in point, a very fascinating paragraph from Pekah the Rabbelezer, which I'd like to read to you because it almost reads like a riddle. We all know that Reish Lokish was a Baal Tshuva. Tzmachlekes Rishainim was he from and he had a couple of bad years and he came back or he was not from, whatever that meant then, and then he really got into it. But we all know the story. The story was in between or for most of his life or half of his life, he was either a gangster or a gladiator. So either take your pick, Bugsy Siegel or Barnum Bailey, whichever, whichever one you want. Either one is not uh, really going to enhance your Havana of Terra and your Hasmada. And the Pekah Drabalaza describes This is the version that they were gangsters. They had a very lucrative operation going on. At a gang of three, and anybody who had the misfortune of crossing their path would walk away without much money. It sounds like they didn't, Baruch Hashem, kill anybody, but they made a lot of money. Ma'asa, and one day, as they're in their cave, picture the scene, they're trying to go to sleep, and it was a very active day, and Meshlokish is tossing and turning and looking at the ceiling. And he starts thinking about life, and he says, you know, this is not really a great occupation for a nice Jewish boy. 
And he tosses and he turns and he spends the whole night thinking about it. And the next morning he makes a decision. He gets up. He left bright and early, sounds like before they got up, left his two friends in the cave. Not just learning, but to be Maslich and learning, you not only have to be a Masmid and hit the books, you have to daven for Siata Deshmaya. He davened, he fasted. He was Isaac and Tyre and Chesed. He never went back to his old ways. Before we get to the punchline, it's an interesting diuk that's also very sensitive. I'm here to do as much damage as I can and leave all the sensitive sugyas to the Rabbanim. So that's why I'm leaving tomorrow. And um, any time you can call, but I never pick up the phone and you can only listen. So there's a diuk over here that there are two sides to this story, but it's pretty clear that he made the decision, he got up, and he left at 4 a.m. and left his two friends there. What would we say he should do? Well, yeah, finally uh, came to the recognition this is not a good thing for a nice Jewish boy. So you have two of your best, closest buddies here with you. There's only a gang of three. So maybe you should stay and um, be care of them. And then in a few months from now, they'll leave. He clearly didn't do that. Why didn't he do it? Well, the obvious shot, which is not always the only shot, is that he realized the sakana he was in, and they were making about $50 million a week. And just divide that per hour. And he was fully cognizant of the fact that Yitzhahara at 5 in the morning can just convince him to stay a little bit longer just for the IRA, you know, convert it to a Roth IRA, and then he can support the whole kailul and, uh, you know, and then he'll stay, he'll convince them, he'll schmooze them, you know, any month now. He realized if you make a commitment, you got to get going, and uh, you got to get going ASAP. If he reached out to them in the interim when he became a Tamil Chavar of Rabbi Yechanan, I don't know, I suppose so. Whatever it is, I do know from the next line that it didn't work. That's not his fault necessarily. We do know the fact is he left in a hurry because he felt he was not strong enough right now to reach out to somebody who might say no and convince him to stay. That's an important piece of information, but not our topic. Fast forward 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, doesn't say how many, but it tells you an interesting fact. The day Reish Lakish died, could have been 80 years later. Interesting, but sounds like a trivial fact, but nothing's trivial in a Medrash. The day he died, Mesu Shnei Reyav Hashaytadin. His two gangster friends who never became Bali Chuva, despite his probable efforts, many years later, they died the same exact day. The statistical improbability of that is almost off the charts. But lo and behold, they have the same yard site. And the Medrash describes, you have three neshamas now going to find their place. 
Medrash gives a very vivid description. His nefesh, his neshama, went to Gan Eden. And his other two former friends went in the opposite direction, way south. Atkan is a picket of So what exactly is the message over here? That if we find out when Reish Lakish's yurtzeit is, I don't know what it is, but if you find out when it is, you should make tikkun and have some ayakichel and some shmaltz herring. Maybe or maybe not cancel tachnan. I'm not getting into that. <laughs> and you should have nebuch, the two neshamas in mind, because they never made it. Or maybe after your base Chedesh, I suppose they made it. Well, what's the connection? The Pashas is, the connection is the contrast. And this is where people get very uncomfortable. I've had, believe it or not, the human condition in psychology, how people will challenge me and give me 89 different pshatim than the Pashup pshat that I'm saying that you can't really argue on. I'm not saying you can't argue on a pshat, I say this pshat you can't argue on, but the reason they're arguing is nothing to do with the Pekat Abelaza. They're arguing because if you follow this and you come to the conclusion, everybody gets very uncomfortable because it undoes their excuse that they had in yeshiva and in school and in shul for 29 years. The comparison and contrast between Reish Lokish and his two friends was that we'd like to take the easy way out and say, well, if you ask somebody a question, why did Reish Lokish become Reish Lokish? His two friends remain gangsters. So we would say, well, the two friends were from a type of home. They didn't really push Ruchnias, and there were problems there, and the IQ wasn't that high, and they didn't have this flesh, and they couldn't do this, and they couldn't do that. And Nebuch, uh, you know, uh, we have many Russian tables for these things. I'm not saying they're not true, but so they became gangsters. Shlokish had a Halak and a Shami, just didn't know it. And when he found out, he was a shoo to become uh, from the Gedele Amaram. So it had nothing to do with the effort of Adarei. Rishlokish tried hard, but it had to do with the innate advantages that Rishlokish had. When people have the same lifespan, usually as an indication of the gifts and the talents that they're given, and when people become very close friends, certainly among men and among ladies separately, it's usually a sign that they have similar tendencies and character traits. When they get married, the men and the women, usually the opposites attract, which is the myla and the godless of marriage, to be able to work on the explosions and help each other grow. But this is not a Sholem here. Just trying to keep the other side of the mechitza focused. So here we have three friends, and for all indications, they when guys get together, they enjoy the same things. So they're sitting in the cave, and they're, I don't want to talk like this, like Beish Lakish, it's Beish Lakish before he's Beish Lakish. So they're drinking beer, and they're divvying up the booty, and, um, and recounting the day's adventures. They were very similar in character, and talents, and shifas. And uh, whether we like it or not, the reason Beish Lakish became Beish Lakish, and they didn't, is not because he had more talent, and had a head start. All three were pretty far gone, whatever the background was. And the reason Meish Lakish became Meish Lakish is because he decided that I have Bechira and it's up to me and I can push this agenda even though my friends think I'm crazy or don't agree. And even if I'm no better than them, I can end up in a different place. And that message really, uh, for some people, is a little bit uh, painful. Because then, what am I, everything I was telling my parents, my Manal, my Rob, my Rebbe, 
that uh, Yankel is a gifted neshama, which he is, and uh, that's not me. So the answer is, are we all cookie-cutter products? Of course not. There is a point where you can't go any further and you're doing your best. Then you are as great as the chavr that you're looking at, even if he's learning three hours more, with more amkas and more hasmada, and he struggles less with his yetzahar, so you think. But until you're convinced of that, which is never, because you don't know what's going on inside of him or her, it's very hard to excuse yourself and say, well, they're doing better in their ruchniyas, whatever area it is, because... The excuse just, uh, you can use it for a while, but afterwards in Shemayim, they know what you can do. And Akash Baruch knows what you can do, and Akash Baruch wants us to find out what we can do. So, even though it sounds like a mixed message, the mitla peer pressure is to pressure everyone into doing the right thing. The pushback is always, yes, I'll do that to a point, at such point when I think I have the excuse that they look a lot smarter than I am. And the cliche that the race is not to the swiftest. And the turtle and the hare and take whatever storybook you want. Older you get, you realize that it's really emis. It depends on how much you're gonna pour into your tefillahs, how much you're gonna push yourself, how much you're not gonna be satisfied with what you've done thus far. And the difference in a little extra effort and thinking about where you're holding and where you can go is Reish Lakish versus a gangster, which is a frightening but very uplifting thought. Once you have this aside, so you can explain the Gemara as everybody explains, because it's not my Chiddush. Gemara Mbav Basra, Dav Yudam Rabbi Yeshua was very, very sick, and he fainted, went into a coma, whatever happened medically, but the neshama was half out the door. We call this today an out-of-body experience, which you don't have to believe all the stories you read, but some of them fit quite well with the Gemara. The neshama is sort of out, it's being judged, they're going to send it back, not going to send it back. I know a fellow in Harnof who... Um, had this. I don't know about all the stories, but I know a couple that are very real. Very real, very frightening, and also, if you treat it the right way, very uplifting. And interestingly enough, the fellow I know, he was interviewed all over Yisrael. Do you remember this, Mesa? It was, uh, it, it was real. It was very real, written up, quite a pella. And he was a chosh of a tamachacham, an askan, a marbitz terror, before he died. Almost died. And the Shemayim, when they brought up all the tainas, the, the, he deserves to live, he's doing this, that, and the other thing. The only thing that got him past it is that you're going to do much more, which we'd like to think again, that well, we're doing it you know, 24 hours in a day. But once he promised he's going to do more, they sent him back. So here the Gemara doesn't talk about that part of the out-of-body experience. The Gemara says he came back, his father said, what'd you see? Not too often you get to speak to somebody who's just in the LMMS. So he wanted to interview him. I've seen this Gemara butchered gefelich. I mean, you can imagine what the bloggers do with this Gemara. Just, uh, you know. What the Gemara does not mean is that everybody who looks chashiv 
all your chashver friends and all the must meet them and all tzaddikim and balik chesed rabbeim rabbanim. They're all rasham gemurim and the guys in the bowery are tzaddikim. That's not what it means. You can have a lamed vovnik. People are convinced there's some lamed vovnik in the bowery somewhere. We're in Milwaukee. Do you guys know where the bowery is? It's uh, whatever. It's a place in New York. Whatever the equivalent of that is here in the city. Uh, so yes, you can have uh, tzaddikim nistarim. We don't know who they are, but in general, uh, the people who look like they're learning and teaching are really learning and teaching. So what does the Gemara mean? The same exact thing as the pick of the Rabbalezer, and that is, we don't Rachmal Islam want to find out in the Elamemis that we're getting a lot of schar and every word of learning and every act of chesed and everything you do is gavaldik. But they might tell you, you know, that uh, cop-out machshava uh, that you had, that you're doing X amount, but you can't do X plus two because you're not so talented. It happens to be that's not true, and there was somebody far less talented in raw talent than you, and he pushed harder, and therefore he gets more schar. Basically, lefum tzara agro, in short. And that's al yenim lamata, datenu lamala. Which again is... Some people are uncomfortable. We're not here to make anybody uncomfortable. We're here to show that despite the fact that there are many gradations in IQ, in strength of how many hours you will sleep or will not sleep, in kaychas anefesh, and yes, believe it or not, I know this sounds a little bit unfair, there are neshamas, perhaps they've been here before, perhaps anitzas, perhaps gilgal, I'll leave that to the Rebbe to discuss, but... There are neshambas that come in in a higher level of a starting point where there are certain aspects of Yetzirah that just don't attract them. And different people struggle with different things. That's all true. And with all that said, the schar, the reward, the elam haba, the chelam haba has nothing to do with all of this. It has to do with effort, 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 mitzirah's nefesh. That's all. doesn't make a difference when you started, where you started, what you started with. Kavaldik. They could pay all the guys on Wall Street like that. Not based on what I think your performance is, based on how hard you're working. Be great. In the physical world, it doesn't work like that. But in the Elamambis, that's the only grade you get based on this mysterious nefesh. How do we do it? How do we raise the bar? So I'm happy in the Midwest as you get out of New York. And I'm not critical of New York. We already made fun of Brooklyn, so um, <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, what Rabbi Twersky meant, uh, I assume, was that in Brooklyn they don't have so many trees. And it's true. That's why we moved to Muncie. There was an expansion. And although there are many Heiligiyidin in every city, some people want to be in a Mokom where you know, you have an expansive view of things closer to nature. And it happens to be, much to my surprise, I've been seeing, there are some people who Dafka like it in Manhattan. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. But it doesn't make a difference where you are. Milwaukee in the Midwest has a special advantage that I've noticed. And that is that, again, not anybody in New York's fault. But things in terms of Gashmias are on a slightly higher level. I don't know if anybody here knows what I'm referring to, but in certain areas of... Um, there's perhaps, I don't know if there's more money in New York or more people making money, but there are 
there is a, a challenge, not New York's fault, there's a challenge in America in general, even in the Midwest, the challenge specifically in New York, where the balance between Ruchnius and Gashmius, how much time to spend working, how much time to spend learning, how much of a center piece in your life is the Gashmius going to be? That's a challenge. The challenge nobody is exempt from. Not in Milwaukee, not in Muncie, not in Flatbush, not in Manhattan. Rabbi Yeruchim has in a, we don't have time to read it now, but if you look it up inside, it's in Parshish Vayechi, it's a classic. He says people make a mistake when they struggle with focusing on Adalam Hazeh versus Adalam Haba. Trying to make money, you're trying to buy things which bring you covet and status. And Yerav Yerucham says that people think that creature comforts will bring us happiness, and therefore you need to make money because the more money you make, the more you can buy and the more comfortable you'll be, whether it be your home, whether it be the car, whether it be the vacation, it doesn't make a difference. And Rav Yerucham says that people, not just Bali Musr, not just people very into the Ruchnias, people who just live longer, come to the conclusion, trick in life is to try to come to the conclusion earlier rather than later, that the more spoiled you get in Gashmias, the more things you need, you not only don't get more comfortable, you get to a matzav where as soon as you don't have exactly what you need and the exact matzav and the exact comfort, you can't function. And this affects in Ruchnius in a very real way because whether it be food, people are, everybody in America, we live in a Mugushim Dika society, Baruch Hashem, we have panasa more or less, we have food, we have comfortable houses and no one's looking to get rid of that. The more attached you are to these things, the more for tumult, if I could just use the Yiddish expression, you're going to be whenever you wake up and nothing's exactly the way you want it to be. And in turn, you can't focus on your learning and your ruchni is because you're about to do it, but I gotta get a Danish and I gotta get this and I, it's time for another vacation. The more you're into that, the more mugushim the surroundings become, the more you're meshubah to it, the less comfortable you are. That's true in plain gashmias and food. That's true in radifa sakavid. That's true in all the things we look for in the various status symbols that we chase. Rabbi Yeruchim suggests very strongly, and this is why the Musr has to go together with the focus on Hasmada. Everything in life is a balance. We have to figure out how to strike that balance. We have to know where our saturation point is in learning and what do you do when you can't feel you can't learn anymore? Where does your Aveda go in Askanas, in Chesed, in giving over and teaching? That's a balance that has to be figured out with your Abayim, your Abonim. How do, you, how do you strike that balance? That's a balance that every community has to find where their center is. We know one thing for sure, and this is the, um, 
beauty of a community such as this and many of our communities that are dotting this country. And that is that if you're doing it and you see the seepuk, you realize you're not sacrificing one iota of Elam Hazeh. You're increasing your Elam Hazeh, you're increasing your tranquility, security, and you feel better. Uh, very famous questions on the face of it, one of the most ridiculous questions ever asked by Esav, who was a very smart fellow. In Vayishlach, he finally meets Yaakovino after many, many years. Yaakovino is very scared. He davens. He prepares for war and he sends a bribe. Kashbarcho sends Malachim to beat up Esav the night before to warn him, don't mess with your brother. He finally shows up. And when he shows up, everybody is dressed in the Shabbos finery. And they all line up to bow down, to show submission, they're not looking for trouble. Everybody bows down, they're all lined up, standing, Yaakov, everybody by their children. Esav comes over to Yaakov and he says, I have one question. Who are all these people? What kind of ridiculous question is that? I mean, who are all these people? They're just He came to meet the family. They're all lined up. I mean, who I think they are? These are um, extras that I hired for the set. Who, who, do, who do you think they are? What, what kind of ridiculous... <laughs> so who are they? Who, who do you think they are? <laughs> so what was this question? So some say it refers to the Medrash that the Malachim came and beat him up last night. Who are these people you sent? Why'd they rough me up? Pashup shot over here is that Yaakovino and Esau were fighting already before they were born. Who's going to control the world? And they made a deal. The deal was Yaakovino said, I'll take Elam Abob, and Esau said, I'll take Elam Azeb, which is fine with both of them. Yaakovino's not interested in Elam Azeb, and Esau's not interested in Elam Abob. They part ways, and they, after many, many years, finally meet again. Yaakovino comes back, as Rashi says, with his Torah and his Ruchnius intact. Esau comes, harried, he had a battle the night before, and his generals left him and deserted. He doesn't know whether he's coming or going. And he shows up, and Yaakov is standing there with a beautiful family, wife and children, L'shem L'seferis, Spitz Elam Hazeth. And Esau comes with a serious taina. He says, dear brother, I've been ripped off. Mi Elamach. What kind of chutzpah is this? We made a deal. I have Olam Hazeh, you have Olam Haba. I'm telling you, I've been running around like a chicken without a head. I don't have Olam Hazeh, and I know I certainly don't have Olam Haba. I know you have Olam Haba, and now I see you have Olam Hazeh. Where's the justice? That's a good kasha. And Esau asked at this point, was it too late for him? We'll never know. The answer, as we can see from this wonderful element in this room, is that you're not sacrificing one for the other. As you push the bar higher with Mesiris Nefesh for your Ruchnius and your learning and your Chesed and your Tzedakah and your Beram Lachavero, you're not only building a glorious and everlasting Elam you're actually ensuring that you have an Elam as well. Esav learned that the hard way, and we have a Mesira, and we can learn that the easy way. There's a lot more to say. 
but uh, we have another shear later on tonight. So we'll just end off with the uh, bracha for the Olam. Not that I'm not kedai to give brachas. There's chashav leadership and there's chashav Olam. But apparently what's unique over here is the fact that you could take people from all walks of life. It doesn't make a difference where they start, apropos to our discussion, when they started, with what Caitlin they're starting with, doesn't make a difference. What you got to do is march forward. Just go weiter. And you'll find talents you didn't know you had. You'll stop looking at the next one unless you want inspiration and you'll realize that whatever talents you think you had, you have a lot more. And most importantly, you'll seek and get the right hadracha, how to deploy the resources, use the talents, and make the most of them. So when you get up to Shemayim, it won't be a yen and lamata. They'll be giving out awards. The malachim will be flabbergasted. How in the world did you figure out how to use 110% of talents that you had? Not 60, not 70, not 80. Mitzvah will use these talents with our machanchem, proper hadracha, Bezeichat in his B.S. Gold Sedek, Meherbi Amen. Amen.